0: Hey, welcome to The Bitterest Pill. You're about to listen to... Hi, it's Dan. Hi. Basically, what I'm doing is releasing all of the premium pill shows for free over the next uh, uh, infinitum. You know what I mean? So this is the very first one that we're doing. Uh, this is a re-release of show number 121, I Want to Be a Car Wash Mogul. For more information, just go to the website at Brought. This is all brought to you by The Premium Pill hear what I'm actually doing now instead of two or three years later by us uh, being a premium pill subscriber. For more information, go to the bitterspill.com. All right, here it is. Uh, number 121. Enjoy. This shouldn't be happening in our neighborhood. We got, we, I won't stand for the stand for what? Some kids ran into the neighborhood and shot each other. W- w- where are you living in a dome? This isn't a plastic bubble, Travolta. This is the real world. My daddy may now make an announcement. listening to the bitterest pill. Mhm. 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 You know, mhm. Yes. I know. Mhm. Yes. I know. I know what you're about to say. I know. I know what you're about to say cuz I'm going to say something like, you know, I'm here. How are you? I'm enjoying a Diet Coke. And you're going to say, Dan, I thought you were going to get off the Diet Coke. Yes. You know, I'm down to one a day. Unless I go somewhere that has free refills. That's all I'm, you know. Listen, sometimes I got to get caffeinated to do this job, baby. (laughs) Oh. Okay, smartass. See what happens? You spilled Diet Coke all over the place. Oh, now what do I do? This isn't exactly a, you know, kitchenette. So I'm wiping up. Diet Coke with Kleenex. What other What other product names can I throw at you? Ten seconds, I'm spilling crap all over the place. Hi, how are you? Hey, hey uh, hi, it's me. Uh, Dan Class, this is the bitterest pill. Little program thing that I do here in my garage. One moment, please. Oh, start the caffeine influx now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My garage, beautifully situated here in Los Angeles under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. And, you know, I really do live at the... I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, I'm so used to it, I don't even think about... You know, for the average person to spend as much time near a major metropolitan airport as I do, it, it's kind of weird, right? Like, literally, to get to my daughter's preschool, I go under the runway, through a tunnel, under the runway. And do you... You know, I wasn't even going to talk about this. I should get a pen out so I can write down all the things that I wasn't going to talk about that I'm going to end up talking about. Is there a lot of construction going on where you live or is it just near me because it's California? We don't really have winter, so they don't really have to put off the construction till the spring. You know, we live, you know where we live. We live in Westchester. And um, in Westchester, y- you know, um, there's only a couple main drags that go north and south. There's Sepulveda, Sepulveda. There's Sepulveda, which is kind of near where we are, and Lincoln over on the other side. And then the freeway in the other direction from Sepulveda. And then it just gets kind of hairy after that. If you really want to go further uh, east, I guess you could go all the way over to La Cienega. I don't speak Spanish, so I don't know what any of this means. I hope I'm not swearing at you in your native tongue when I say things like La Cienega. I speak, uh, Espanol, poquito, poquito, poquito mas Espanol, por favore. I can speak Spanish with an Italian accent. Can you? Huh? Tough guy? Didn't think so. Anyway, what happens is, you know, they're, they're doing construction on Sepulveda. No, traffic's a problem anyway, because this is Los Angeles. You know that. They're doing construction. Who, now, who knows what they're doing? I don't know what is wrong with Sepulveda that they suddenly have to be doing all this construction. What a great way to ease the traffic congestion but do construction for 10 months. So, I don't know if they're putting in a median, they're widening a median, they're they're narrowing, I don't know what's happening. So what you do then is you, you figure, well, you know, what, I'm not going to take Spole, I'll take Lincoln. Oh, look, construction. You know, because Dreamworks bought the wetlands and then they sold it to these developers and other I basically I cannot leave the neighborhood in a in a northerly fashion. Now I can go south I can go south all I want apparently away from you know Santa Monica Hollywood that kind of thing toward the South Bay you see go under the flight path or under the uh, 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 runway literally under the runway through the tunnel and every time it rains and it's not that often but every time it rains there's this on-ramp to this little freeway thing right there that they close. And then we all end up sitting in this stupid tunnel under the uh, runway. And we're all sitting there in our little cars looking at each other. You know, I knew it was raining. I knew. I knew. I just, uh, the great thing about California, Southern California, is um, every time it rains, everyone likes to act like it's the first time. First time it's ever rained. We didn't know we had these drainage problems. Oh my gosh, if we'd only known, uh, maybe we would fix them. Ten years ago, it rained and rained and rained for like three or four years in a row. So much that intersections would literally be full of water in the valley. You know the valley, San Francisco? Valley, girl. You know what I'm talking about. There would be intersection after intersection in the valley with water up to the traffic lights. And then what do they do uh, after the rain lights up? Nothing. Nothing at all. Why would we uh, fix it? It's not raining. <laughs> it doesn't rain here. It's Southern California. What are you? Th- what are you, nuts? So I can't, you know, I just mm. luckily, usually Melissa takes Hudson to school, which is in that direction. I get the southbound, which is good. Drop off princess tirade. Go to Target. You know, what I'm. you know, where I'm going with that line of questioning, don't you? Mm hmm. So uh, I was checking out some. Now, you know, what I'm, you know, I'm a stay at home dad. Hey, guess what? New people, I'm a stay-at-home dad, okay? Rub it in. Fine. You, you know, this is this as is well-adjusted as I get as a stay-at-home dad. But um, there's this uh, other stay-at-home dad that I became acquainted with, Brian uh, Reed. I don't think he listens to the show anymore. I don't know. But anyway, I, I I saw a link on his website to a story, a study. A study was done at the University of uh, Austin. What was it? Yeah. University of Texas Texas. Look, I can't talk today, so don't, you know, lower thy expectations, my brethren. The University of Texas at Austin did a some uh, doctor there. What's his name? Dr. Aaron Rocklin. Or at least that's how I'm going to pronounce it. He did a big study. So, Dr. Aaron, now here, get the, did you know, uh, 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 where is it? And I didn't want to print this out, so I'm trying to read it on my phone, which is very economical, I'm sure. Dr. <sighs> Okay, according to the US uh, census data, there are in 2000 as of 2006, there were approximately 159,000 stay-at-home fathers. 150,000 159,000 stay-at-home fathers. Now that does not include uh, you know, fathers in same-sex couples. Does not include fathers that earned any income in the previous year. And it does not include single fathers. So that's just stay at home, complete, utter, devoted, stay at home dad. Now, you know, uh, that doesn't even count me. Every once in a great while, I'll make a little, uh, uh, you know, how should I put this? Auditioning money? I don't really call it acting. It's modeling. Is bald guy modeling money? Because let's face it, I'm no actor. You know what I mean? Robert De Niro... Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, you know, Sissy Spacek, Those are actors. I am a bald model. And every once in a while I go and do a little bald modeling at an audition or at a on a commercial, and they pay me. I don't really remember what that's like, tell you the truth. But that, but I do that. And the podcast, you know, we're at least covering the bills now, folks. A a, a large enough percentage of the audience that at least we we're breaking even here, which is Really, the big goal, isn't it? One hundred fifty-nine thousand stay-at-home dads, and what they did for their big national survey—they're going to do a big study. University of Texas in Austin. Somebody with the name Doctor, with the word Doctor in their name. How many? How many of you stay-at-home dads did the interview of that one hundred fifty-nine thousand guys? Two hundred. My big national. Survey of a hundred and fifty nine thousand people How big is my cross-section my sample set 200 now listen, I, I know I? Know what you're saying. I got a D in statistics. I admit it. Listen, I admit it. I was a freshman it was my uh, first and second semesters of college and Really basically what it came down to is this I? Can go to a class that I hate? That bores me that I don't really know why I'm taking I think because I thought statistics was going to be memorizing like four out of five dentists, you know. I never went to the class. I never went to the um, whatever that other thing is you sometimes had to go to with your teaching assistant. What did you call that? I don't even remember what that's called. That's how that's how much I went is I don't even remember what those little, you know, you know, in college, you have lectures and then you have that other thing. I didn't go to those. But what would happen is uh, I did have a girlfriend back home that was a waitress. I was about 19. My, I had this 24-year-old sort of pseudo-waitress, pseudo-girlfriend that would come up uh, on the same day I had statistics. Well, guess who won? <laughs> That's right, the waitress. Uh, let's see. Study, math, or hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Vicky. You won again. Yep. Yeah, my I got an email from my old roommate, Artie Art. He's going to remember Vicky. We had a symbol. We had a secret sign on the door. You know, I don't know if, you know, you put a necktie on the door and that means, <laughs> guess who's sleeping in the lounge tonight? You. Sorry, man. It wasn't that really. It wasn't that. So for you, that, uh, for those of you, though, that understand statistics, is that a decent sample set? 200? To get a rational overview of 159,000? Anyway, devastating conclusions that they've come up, come, come with here. The results of our study offered a very positive representation of changes in the gender roles in parenting. More people are doing what makes them happy and determining what's best for their families, rather than worrying about society's expectations. <laughs> men taking the survey were asked to rate themselves on various measures of conformity to traditional male values. For instance, feeling it was inappropriate for men to show affection, be nurturing, make less money than the spouse etc according to dr Ro- rocklin most survey respondents reported less conformity to traditional masculine norms than men of a similar age in, a, in the community what a shock that guys that would actually end up being stay-at-home dads feel that they conform less to traditional male roles they, this guy re- deserves to be a doctor he's a genius i don't know why he had to ask he he could have saved Years of research and called me one guy. I could have told him then 10 seconds Men that are fathers seem to be oh, you gotta be kidding Got to be kidding Listen, if you're in a university situation and you're got to you know, you got to do something you got to publish something You might as well research uh, 200 stay-at-home dads and have them to go. Well, you know I don't conform to the normal male stereo. No kidding. If you did, you'd have a job and a tie. You wouldn't be having this interview right now. You'd be driving around in the least Acura. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not angry. Yes, I am. Okay. I'm going to read some things to you in a couple minutes. Uh, Things I haven't read in a long time, so it might be a little... But... I've been reading, uh, y- you know, I've been reading these, uh, and I use the term reading loosely. I've been reading and listening to books on, um, you know, money, wealth, become w- becoming wealthy. Basically, because here's the problem. Now, you know me. I'm over 40. I admit it. You can tell. Take a look at the fi- picture. It's no secret. I have nothing. Do you understand what I mean? I have nothing. I have a couple headshots. We have this house. And let's face it, we don't have this house. We have uh, the, you know, what do you call it? The, um, the amount of money that the house has appreciated, basically. It's not like it's our house. It belongs to Citibank or Citywide or whatever. <coughs> we have nothing. I have nothing but a cough, a, a terminal cough and some sort of caffeine addiction that, that, that's really basically what I have so I've decided that you know since I'm going to die in probably uh, two three years I should leave my children something more than uh, you know some hand-me-down t-shirts so I've been listening and reading to, to all these books and here this is the amazing thing and you know how I'm kind of a frugal guy at least at heart I've been reading uh, PT Barnum's The Art of Money Getting. In fact, if you want, go to you know go to, if you're interested in reading this book, go to the bitterspill.com. I'll put a link. It's in the public domain. It's an ancient book. I read that and I and I've listened to uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think I mentioned that a couple weeks ago by uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Is that his name? Robert Kiyosaki. I should bring in notes, but I don't want to. And then I just started listening to uh, this thing just this morning called the, uh, you know, The Millionaire Next Door. And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now. It all boils boils down to this. Okay, I can tell already now. I but I've listened to ten seconds of this third thing, and everything boils down to this. And listen, I know you live in America. I know you're an American. I know you've been you've been in America much of your life. And if you're not in America, you're in your country, whatever country that is. And maybe you have the same thing going on there. See, in America, people want to. Now, I'm going to be very careful how I word this because I I almost said something that's not true. I almost said in America, everybody wants to be rich. And I don't think that's actually true. I think everyone in America wants to act rich or behave how they perceive rich people behaving. And what they want to do is be, you know, Paris Hilton or uh, whoever the guy version of Paris Hilton would be. You know, I don't probably probably some rapper or something. Have a lot of bling, have a nice car expensive watch drink champagne in the champagne room you know what i'm saying you want to have a nice huge house and a couple of nice imported cars maybe give your daughter a car when she's 16 you got the rings and the coats you got the this and the that and the country club and all this stuff okay so that's and that's you know hey god, god bless you <clears throat> something to aspire to definitely But whether it's P.T. Barnum or this guy, Robert Kiyosaki or whatever his name is, this guy's been on the bestseller list now, I think, for six years with this rich dad, poor dad thing or this millionaire. It all boils down to this. And if it goes all the way back to P.T. Barnum, I mean, he's not even talking about people buying automobiles. He's like, you you don't need to buy the fanciest buggy whip. I mean, this this is stuff that that has been clear to people in their right minds for a long time. And I'm going to lay it. All out for you right now and in, in a couple sentences and here it is people that buy fancy expensive flashy foreign cars and diamonds and furs and all that stuff don't want to be rich they don't want to be wealthy they want to look rich they want to look like they're doing better than you but by and large the the the, the big over the big generalization that i can make so far that i've learned from these three uh you know you know bits of information is this wealthy people truly wealthy people don't don't do that don't do that they just don't you know why it's it's all uh it's all wasted money you don't get anything back if you wealthy people people that want to have financial security Buy things that make them money. They save their money. They pool their money. They work their money. They buy things that people then rent. They buy things that they can cut up and sell in pieces, whatever it happens to be. And here we are. But see, the, and, and the, the, the main reason I bring that this up is this. I'm living in the, the middle of a culture. And in Los Angeles, I'm in the middle of the, you know, maybe the one of the epicenters of that. Const everything is about being young and flashy and uh, having the great this and the great that, the great hair, the great car, the great that, but it turns out, you know what, that, the people that really know what's going on and that, that have things to pass on to their kids, they can give their children some kind of security, they don't do that, because it's all bull. It's all bull. Now, this all this goes back to, remember, this goes back to get your own thing going. Remember, I didn't get that job, and I figured, well, you know, it's probably because I wanted too much money, and I'm too far from being 23. You know, there's no job security anymore, but you know what? There never was any job security. We're, we're taught in this country to be good workers, not good, self-sufficient money-producing people. Because I looked at my life and I thought, you know what, dude, I mean, you're going to be hacking away at this for the rest of your life. You're going to end up working at Burger King when you're, you know, 75 years old. You got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, the good thing is, because of the personality of my wife and the personality of me, we could actually, if we had any cash, if we were liquid in the least, uh, we could actually... Start to act like adults about our money. Start investing in uh, who knows what. What are pork bellies? I don't know what they are. I I hear you can invest in pork bellies. It sounds kind of disgusting, but maybe that's why. Maybe it's a good investment because to some people, maybe it sounds too disgusting. I I honestly don't know. I want to buy. You know what I want to buy? And tell me if this would fly where you live. Because in California, this is a very good investment. I want to buy a uh, self-service car washes. You know what? Because I grew up on, I grew up in the eighties and in the nineties under the mistaken impression that I should have a good job with a flashy title and I should move up the corporate ladder where I should be an actor. I should be an actor and make money. And you're nobody unless you're on a sitcom and you're making a million kajillion dollars. And maybe you can hang out with Tom Cruise at a party sometime and tell Katie Holmes some jokes or whatever. No, no, no. You know what? No, because you can't, I can't leave that. Even if I got that, I would lose it. Because everybody that gets it, there's only one Tom Cruise. Everybody else gets it and loses it. The tiny, 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 tiniest percent of the world is living that tiny, tiny, tiny little dream that is absolutely the exception. The guys that are making out, you know who they are? They're the guys that you went to high school with that never left town. That maybe inherited their dad's uh, tire business, or they bought into a tire business, or they had a snowplow business, and then they bought another snow snowplow. By the time they're 45, they got a snowplow business, a couple restaurants, convenience store, a car wash. Guess what? Those guys are worth a fortune. Those guys are worth a fortune, and I've been I've been looking down my nose at those guys because they never left town and they wear jeans around and slop 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 around the mall. It's all ass backwards. We're all, we're, I, I, and, I, and I'm saying this out of frustration for myself, because I have been duped just like so many other people have been duped. I've been duped. I've been hoodwinked by the American, the, the, the like teenage adolescent attitude of the American dream. Wish to just buy a nice watch, buy your lady some diamonds, and wear a leather jacket, and drive a Ferrari, and uh, keep your hair, maybe have a chick on the side. You know what? I don't want that. You know what I want? I want a string of self-service car washes. That's what I want. I want to drive around to my car washes every day, fill up the soap, and empty a, a big bucket of nickels. A big, just bucket after bucket of nickels. That's all I want. I don't care about fame anymore, folks. I don't care. That 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 was adolescent Dan. You know what I want? I really, honestly, I want a car wash. If you know of a self-service car wash for sale in your area, could you please let me know? I just want to be a car wash mogul. Enough of this. Enough of trying to get by on my smarts, my creativity, and my this, my that, and living the dream. And maybe someday I'll get the big break. You know what my big break is going to be? When I just shut up and buy a stupid car wash. No, I can't believe he never even left town. Yeah, he's just working at his dad's, uh, you know, uh, auto shop. Yeah, he's fixing cars. Man, I went to college, cut to. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't belong to the country club. He just bought it. He just bought it from all that uh, mechanic money. Jackass. But yeah. Check out PT Barnum, how to, the art of money getting, it's really all about being wise and being thrifty and not wasting your money. And I'm kind of this way. And I, and, I, and I think, and, and you know, maybe you are too. I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe we don't realize that we've got this inherent instinctive thing where, cause I'll be honest with you. I don't want the most expensive television. I really don't. What I want, this is what I buy. Uh, And this will come as no shock to you. I never buy the most expensive anything. I try not to buy the least expensive. Usually what I do is I look at what I can get. Like what? How do I put this? What will get the job done? Okay. And then of those things, because I know cats that are flush, you know, like I know guys. They buy the best microphone they buy the best mixer. They buy the best golf clubs or car, whatever it is. You know, these guys, they've got the cash to burn either because they make so much money or because they've already done it. They've, They've already got their string of car washes. You know what I mean? Well, I'm not there yet. So I always buy kind of the middle consumer level, whatever it is, whether it's my stereo equipment, my TV, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't get any kind of whatever chubby for you know what i mean for like well i just bought a harman Kardon you know we used to call harman common hard-on harman Kardon uh receiver for my uh google plex uh speaker surround system that i just put in like uh, whatever uh, you know it, i want something that works and works well but i don't need any of that visual stuff and these guys that wrote the book about the the millionaire next door, they said, you know, most of these guys live well below their means in very, you know, normal neighborhoods, you know, next to, you know, the plumber or the banker or the guy with the, you know, mid-management job or whatever. I want to be those guys. I want to I want to be secretly wealthy from my car wash fortune. I don't see how how that's so bad. And maybe they won't even be self-serve. Maybe they'll be those really nice drive-through ones that the kids and I enjoy so much. I mean, really, that's our favorite thing. But it's like buying a small amusement park that cleans your automobile. We drive in there, we put on some music. The the little brushy things come and brush the car and squirt it off and throw soap on it and rinse it and everything. It's awesome. And I could even sell, uh, you know, my little bitters pill CDs in the gift shop air freshener bitters pill CDs a back scratcher I'd be I'd be gold. I'd be would be a mogul I'd be a car wash mogul I can't wait I want to buy a car wash do you have those do you live in the middle of a country obviously I can't afford one here basically I need to go somewhere where there are so few people that no one would ever need one of those because they just hose their car off <laughs> that's the problem is you know what I mean in the middle of nowhere where I could actually afford one? Just go, brother! I just hose my truck off. What's your problem? Before I started doing uh, this program, um, I got it in my head that I was going to write a book. Because I'd been a stay-at-home dad then, at that point, for, you know, three years, four years, I don't know, however long. I mean, it had been ages. And I got it in my head that I was going to write my my stay-at-home dad uh, book. Not a serious book by any means. I mean, I don't really have a big story to tell you today. I just don't. I just, you know, don't. We'll go there maybe next time. I just, you know, sometimes you just got to stop minding the memory and just leave it alone. But I thought what I would do is... um I'm gonna read this to you. One of these stories. The problem is I haven't read this in about uh, you know five years. Okay. Well, you know what? Whatever. Let's let's just try. Let's just see what happens. You want to see what happens? And we'll see if maybe I need to improve my writing skills. Who knows? This was a section uh, of the book called How to Meet Any Woman You Want, Guaranteed. If you're anything like me, you've spent an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out the answer to the age-old question. How do I attract women? You spent hours blow-drying and training your hair until you had none, worrying about your clothes until they were out of style, and up at all hours of the morning to repeatedly lift steel weights over your head. Still, the opposite sex remained an elusive mystery. Sure, some women were attracted to you by your sense of humor, your boyish charm, but you never unearthed that fail-safe talisman that would start women flocking to you like you were giving away the perfect pair of black pumps until you had a child. There is something about a newborn baby that is absolutely irresistible to women in their childbearing years. Now sure, you'll occasionally run into a woman who is quote-unquote not interested in having children. Now you soon find out that that actually translates to, I'm dating a rich divorcee, and the only way I'm going to bag this buck is if I act like his kids are plenty until we get married and I can start to wear him down. Well, as you can imagine, the childbearing years are also the young and nubile years. I have walked into situations that I had been in a hundred times before, feeling utterly invisible and then been surrounded by hordes of beautiful young Bettys only because I was carrying a baby. Single, perky, beaming young lovelies telling me how gorgeous my progeny is, which of course is a sly way of telling me that I'm gorgeous, right? Please, hello? What could be better? A dream come true, seemingly free and endless access to any young woman I happen to see in office buildings, in department stores, in parks, restaurants, you name it, any woman, anytime. Bank tellers, cosmetic counter girls, models, supermodels. The possibilities are endless. Well, the possibilities for the baby are endless. You see, odds are you are married. As in unavailable. And really, your marital status is moot. Since not a single one of these women could pick you out of a lineup after an hour-long conversation with you and the baby. They are talking to you because you are safe, translation married, clearly nurturing and carrying a goddamn baby. They don't even notice you. They see a baby. They act like there are only about seven babies on the planet. They act like you would act if someone offered you a ride in the Batmobile. They don't know you're even alive. You are merely the idiot carrying the Holy Grail. See, they don't notice you, but it's hard at first not to notice them. New fathers have not yet been completely turned into parents. And so still have some vague memory, no matter how long they've been married, of their single past. It was a strange and difficult time for me. I was constantly having conversations with the same women I would never talk to as a childless married man because A. They wouldn't have talked to me anyway. B. Talking to hot single women makes me nuts. And C. It is much easier to stare at someone's legs if you're not answering questions about someone else's birth weight. Oh, and while we're on the topic, a brief side note. For the first several months... Of your baby's life, you will be expected to at any time and in any place be able to state the exact time of your child's birth, the birth weight and the length of their body in inches. Have that information at all times because it will be on the exam. Now, truthfully, I'm not sure exactly who cares what time your baby was born or how long or how heavy they were, but they will ask all the time, every day. Have it on the tip of your tongue. If you don't know. You'll feel like an idiot and soon develop a complex about not being a good caregiver. After all mommy would know. All right, back to the chickies. The worst are the hot mommies because they actually want to bond with you as opposed to just staring at your baby. Hot mommies will actually engage you in conversation about you. How are things going for you? How are you coping with life as a parent? They will empathize and ingratiate themselves in a way that no woman has since you sold your convertible. You will have things in common, war stories to share, a common language. Most threatening of all, depending on the business you're in or the town you live in or whatever element sets the stage, eventually a hot mommy will give you her phone number. Yes, you heard me correctly. This beautiful young mother of two, God knows she couldn't possibly have had kids with that body will give you her phone number insisting that you call her or stop by some afternoon i know what i'm talking about it happened to me she wrote down her name and her phone number and slipped it to me insisting that i stop by the house if i'm ever in the area and need to change the baby quote unquote I mean is this some kind of code Am I living in a naive little dreamland of fidelity when, in fact, gorgeous housewives are giving their numbers to organize play dates, quote, unquote, wink, 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 while their husbands are at the office? Am I going to go over there and she's going to plop the kids in front of the big screen and offer me a whole new definition of mommy and me? My God, what kind of world am I living in where lonely mothers are having daytime sex with random baby bearers? I can't do that to my wife. My God, she just gave birth. I made a vow. Sure, if this chick wants me to come over so she can strut around the pool in a wet bikini, that's not cheating, right? I've just got to stay out of the spare bedroom. If she happens to talk dirty to me, I can't stop her, but snap out of it. Okay? You're a parent now. You are a member of a cult. When a sexy young mom gives you her number and tells you to stop by, she is saying that to a parent. Another mom. She doesn't realize that the last dying breaths have not yet been sucked out of the horny little single guy that used to rule your life. She assumes you are already made the transition to a fully functioning rational adult who puts their children and marriage above all else and can have a parent-to-parent relationship with someone without constantly staring at that someone's ass. Don't worry, you will soon make the full transition, or at least some form of it. I realized I'd made as much of a transition as I was going to make when I started taking my son to quote-unquote adult education classes. Adult education is mommy and me without the word mommy in it. 25 young moms of every shape and size. Tall, small, blonde, brunette, young, not so young. 25 moms and me. Of course, I instinctively... He immediately took stock of which ones I found attractive and which ones I could befriend. Which ones wore short little mommy shorts and which ones wore the, I'm mommy, I'm still hot hipster wear. Everyone was sorted, categorized, and ready for objectification. And then it was over. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe the working towards the common good of our children, but I couldn't. Now, I wouldn't end up objectifying these women after the first day. Well, not as much as I expected to, anyway. Sure, I'd have a brief flare-up or two, especially in the spring. <laughs> I'm only human. But for the most part, it was a no-sexuality zone. I have never been in a situation with less of a sexual vibe. Even in other equally slanted situations, gender-wise, this one took the cake. And make no mistake about it, these women sure as hmm, didn't think of me as a guy. I am a father, and therefore above reproach. They are moms, married, and locked in, and happy that there are more important things to think about than who's cutie jimboree. There are the kids. I am often, however, aware that I am a male. A male doing what is usually done by women or at least stereotypically so and therefore a male that doesn't want in any way to make it look like i can't handle the job many would argue that women are better suited for the role i would argue that they are differently suited i will concede that there are many times after awkwardly holding the child with one arm that i wish i had bigger hips See, there's an overcompensation that takes place for a man in this situation, like a young businesswoman on a job who thinks she has to use a lot of corporate jargon to be taken seriously. I felt like I had to be the perfect parent. I always made sure my child's clothes matched, hair was combed, jacket at the ready in case it got chilly outside. When it came around to being my turn to bring the snack for class, I made sure I brought much more than enough for everyone with a nice assortment of cookies, crackers, and a lovely cheese platter. The day we all took the kids to the beach, I was one of the few parents who brought a beach towel to sit on. Several of the moms showed up with no shovel, no pail, no sunscreen, no sweatshirt, no hat. There we are at the beach at 10.15 a.m. And one of the moms says she didn't expect it to be cold, even though it had rained all night and was 10.15 in the morning. See, apparently some parrots are idiots, no matter what their gender. So I brought my jackets and sunscreens and my hats to make damn sure that the guy's kid was never the one inappropriately dressed. And secretly, I never shook my paranoid suspicion that they all thought it was my wife who was putting together the outfits and the beach bags and the cheese platters. Well, all right, she, she was putting together the cheese platters. A litter from another dad about his Einstein baby. Our child is rather advanced for his age. You see, in an effort to ensure he would get into a decent daycare center, the Ivy League looks at everything, you know, we made sure our baby was exposed to culture and the arts before he was even born. My wife and I invested a small fortune in CDs of classical music to play for our little fetus scholar. Through a set of huge headphones, I would lovingly duct tape to my wife's abdomen. I later found out that the amniotic sac is such a loud environment that all the blood and fluids echoing about, I felt it was important to get two or three additional sets of headphones and an auxiliary amplifier to ensure the sound of Mozart would drown out the rattle of my wife's digestive tract. My wife and I would sit in the study for hours, wearing earplugs, with the stereo blasting the sounds of future mathematical genius into Junior's watery home. Eventually the pounding of the cellos and the bass drum would cause our hearts to begin to miss time. So we would shut off the music, swab the blood from our ears, and lay back on the settee so I could yell Chaucer into my wife's navel. We were both shocked to find that upon our child's birth he was not able to do much more than cry, and even that seemed more like constant choking. Were our hours of baby books on tape completely wasted? Or were his cranial neurons so hardwired for superiority and merely needed to wait for his physical development to catch up? Once home, we were not satisfied with having him merely watch baby Mozart tapes. You can buy them at the mall, for God's sake. So I commissioned a series of programs based on Shakespeare's tragedy, all performed by sock puppets. They were marvelous. Our son seemed to enjoy them, as his constant spitting up seemed to slow to a trickle during the programs, and as mature as he was at that age, he didn't even seem a bit disturbed by the beheading in Titus. See, I don't believe in talking down to children. I see people talking baby talk constantly, and I sincerely hope they're not surprised when their child returns it in kind. We speak nothing but proper English to our child, and Greek and Latin. My feeling is if he doesn't understand a word in English, he can at least figure out its meaning from its root. We bought him several monochromatic toys to expand his mind. All he does is chew on them, but that's something. We read haiku instead of Dr. Seuss. His room is decorated not with paintings of regular teddy bears and circus animals, but with Lichtensteins and Warhols. We want him to have an understanding of irony. In order to develop his fine motor skills, we have removed everything from his immediate environment that measures more than two centimeters in any direction. Balls, rattles, spoons, everything. Now, many will tell you that this is a choking hazard, but those Frady cats' kids will be courting the state schools while my son is performing microsurgery with his bare hands. On Wednesdays, we have a special book club, where we get together with three other families to discuss a book with its author. Last month, we were supposed to have Kurt Vonnegut discuss Cat's Cradle, but he sent us a letter claiming to be dead. At the last minute, we booked George Will to come and go through the newspaper. I was just checking my email, and I got a I got an email. still opening because I know what's coming. See, because last okay, hearing this this is happening. Last last night or the night before at dinner. Remember last year, about a year ago. Well, here we go. Yep, that's it. Okay, yeah. Okay, a couple minutes ago, uh, you know, somebody in the family, I think it was Melissa, said, "Hey, you know, Dan, the spring event is coming up." I bet you they're going to they're gonna ask you to do uh, graphics again. Remember last year when uh, I had to actually go to a meeting with other people, you know, with the the, the lady whose husband knows the councilman. <laughs> really? And they wanted me to make seven foot tall life size cutouts of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or something. I don't know. And tell you the truth, the graphics all came out great. They looked great. I was happy. You know, I really, I did enjoy working with um, any of the people that I ended up working with. Just, you know, I, but you know, it's my nature. I have to make fun of these things. It's the only way I can get through. So here it is. Here's the email. I guess. I get, okay. There it is. Yep. There's the request. Okay. Yep. For the family fair. Oh, right on schedule. Until. Okay. Oh, this is a big secret. Oh, whatever this is, there's something secret in here that I can't say. Okay, you don't need to know any of that. Then. And I don't mind doing it. I really don't. You know? If I had, a, you know, my string of gas stations or car washes, I would, you know, maybe feel better about the time. Do you know anything about... Investing in real estate or stock. I don't know nothing about stocks. I'll tell you this though on my phone. Now, you know I have an iPhone on On the phone. It's my biggest it's my biggest asset <laughs> It has a thing where you can track stocks and uh, uh, every stock is going down today I don't know if that means you're supposed to buy sell hold cry jump I don't know, but they're all going down today leaps and bounds And I yeah. So we've had this rash of, uh, you know, I don't know. Is it paranoia? Have I talked about this? Oh, maybe I already talked about this. Like, what do you do when uh, people come to your house to ask for, you know, money? Or they're, they're trying to say, I mean, first, let's start here. Has anyone ever purchased a magazine subscription from one of these kids that comes to your door and then actually received the magazines. I don't understand what the advantage is of going door to door selling either real or phony subscriptions unless you're just casing the place to rob it because otherwise it cannot possibly be worth your time. All the time that these cats spend going door to door with their rap about how they're trying to earn a trip to Germany or points for a public speaking competition. And how am I doing so far? Can you initial this and buy a magazine? And I'm trying to get out. of. Well, couldn't they just go find something else better to do that would pay them more, educate them? Some. I mean, it might be into, too, you know, middle class about this. Because we really only get two two types. We get the types that are, you know, here soliciting for some sort of real left-wing, you know, granola, crunchy, crunchy thing. And that's always like some young, fresh-faced girl. And, uh, you know, I always give them money. And then there's always the, like, the shifty-looking 20-something guys. Sometimes maybe they're a little older. You know? Various racial mix... Various, uh, you know, styles of patter, but the patter is all pretty much the same. Like, hi, I'm a shifty guy who's trying to act normal. And I am uh, I'm collecting points for a completely fictitious competition of some type. Uh, What happens is we come into your neighborhood in a van and we go around uh, trying to get you to give us checks for some. And fictitious LLC where they uh, they give us a percentage of the amount of money we collect. So will you please donate to the Christian public speaking autism magazine subscription trip to Germany uh, Corporation. So this guy came to the door and he was just, you know, whatever. Here's the rap and whatever. And now so I make the mistake of saying to the guy, hey, listen, we just walked in the door. I got to feed the kids. OK, can we? And he says. What you feeding them? I was just going to give him a, I don't know, like graham cracker or something. Can I have one? Okay. The problem begins with he knows where I live. So I can't say what I really want to say, which is something I really shouldn't say. Like, get out of here. So my choice is to give him a graham cracker and then, then not maybe feel so guilty about telling him to give the hell out Or I just tell him, because I don't want to listen to the rap. Because the rap is buy a magazine or public speaking or trip to Germany or whatever, whatever, whatever. Now, meanwhile, though, you know, the neighbors are, you know, they're buying and hanging uh, neighborhood watch signs. And basically what happens is well recently there was a um, a shooting, not a killing. there was a shooting in the immediate area. Apparently, there was a big basketball game at the high school uh, for our area uh, you know in the two schools or whatever blah, blah, blah. next thing you know, kids are chasing each other and uh, somebody gets uh, popped. Well, see, Americans seem to be under the misguided delusion that they can live in a city like Los Angeles. And as long as they live in a quote unquote nice enough neighborhood, nothing bad will happen to anyone near their house. And this real indignant letter from the president of the Homeowners Association from 78th Place. This shouldn't be happening in our neighborhood. We got, we, I won't stand for the, stand for what? Some kids ran into the neighborhood and shot each other. Where, where are you living? In a dome? This isn't a plastic bubble, Travolta. This is the real world. If you don't want kids running down the street shooting each other, move to Canada. Otherwise, you're in the States. You know, every once in a while, someone's going to, there's going to be a crack bust or shooting or something in your backyard. You just get over it. But we're really under this, this mistaken impression that if we pay more than X for a house, we should be in some, like, immunity zone. And we should be somehow protected by an invisible barrier. Not the cops, because we don't want the cops here. No, no, no. We don't want the cops here. But shouldn't we get some, like, like get out of uh, reality card? Listen, this is a quote-unquote nice neighborhood. We shouldn't, there shouldn't, what are you doing? Now, meanwhile, you know, everybody's beating each other and cheating on each other and cheating on their taxes. And, you know, their son, you know, is living with grandma. And guess why he's living with grandma? Because he's built a meth lab in grandma's garage. And that's why there's that smoke coming from the house two doors down. And I don't know. I mean, if, if this is the roughest neighborhood any of these people have ever lived in, God bless them. They have lived a charmed life. I've told you about some of the neighborhoods that I've lived in, especially when uh, cousin Ronnie and I were living together. We lived in Hollywood. No, Hollywood. And I've told you that if I told you this before, we're we live in Hollywood on Gramercy place. And that's Hollywood. That's not like that's no fooling around. And we were moving from the glamour of a uh, no bedroom on Gramercy to a two bedroom on Grace, which is up in really like near Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood, like. If you went a uh, half a block from our second apartment, you could get crack, you could get hose, you could get crack hose, you could get cracked over the head with a bottle. You could get anything you wanted. And as we're moving out, Cousin Ronnie and I and my friend Matt are moving out our potted ficus, and these two guys come running down the street, and it was some sort of like you know, an Israeli guy and a Palestinian guy or something. I mean, it was like literally some Middle East conflict that was being enacted in the street. And one of the guys had a gun. He was like, I'm going to kill you! You know? And we're like, oh, hey! So we got we're, we, we had our own little uh, summit. Right there, 10pm, you know, with the ficus. Brother, can't you get along? And then we ended up moving over to Grace, where you could get, you know, crack and hose and crack hose and just down the street, though, there was this great hamburger place that would make you these fresh, greasy, disgusting hamburgers, but they put an entire slice. You know how you get a, a burger and it has uh, onion on it, and they just put a couple of the rings of the onion? They would put the whole slice right on there. Oh, yeah. It was so good. Right next to play, P-L-A hyphen boy liquor. But um, yeah, those were the days when, you know, Hollywood Boulevard was Hollywood Boulevard. It was... It was like time, you know, pre-Disney, like pre-Disney Times Square, like, you know, late 80s. Holy cow. And the dude that lives next, next, we lived in this really kind of nice building, you know, it was a pretty new building on Grace. And in fact, our like little like liaison with the management company or whatever was this little chickie that one day Ronnie's on Playboy. How How often does that happen? Somebody had lent I think I think the, the rap was like somebody lent me a magazine because it had an article in it about Lenny Bruce or something, and and cousin Ronnie's flipping through and he goes, Hey, look, there's the manager of our building. She looked good, by the way. Um, but the guy that lived next door to us starts showing me his forty five. His forty five. Like, oh yeah, I got this, you know, protect myself. He was from I don't even remember where, Israel or somewhere. Yeah, he was going to protect. He was going to, he had the bedroom next to mine, a paper thin wall between us, and he's going to protect himself with a 45. Hey, guess who's going to get killed in the friendly fire but me? And it was very telling because I had lunch with, uh, what was it, lunch with Brian Hogg? You know, Brian Hogg of, uh, I, I, I bring Brian Hogg apparently uh, maybe a little too much. Brian Hogg of Dot Boom and I, in his, uh, significant other maddie we're having a meal in uh, california here in ontario and he asked me it was kind of an interesting conversation he he was relating that he had been part of a conversation about a guy who got shot and he says to me in dead seriousness not you know he was not trying to be funny dan i gotta ask you because he's from canada he says dan seriously has everyone in america been shot And I kind of laugh like, ah, ah, you've been watching too much TV. And they're like, no, you know what, though? I've seen too, I've seen, I've seen guns. I've seen, you know, I've seen some guns. I've seen some guns and I've seen some guys running down the street from guns. And I've seen the SWAT team in my neighborhood of my quiet little Midwestern looking neighborhood. I've seen a guy in like in New York lying on the sidewalk. I could have sworn. Did I ever tell you that? I'm walking down. Yeah, I think I told you this. I'm walking down the street, and I was taking. I think it was Melissa's portfolio somewhere, and I heard this weird sound. And I looked down, and there was a guy, like a shirtless guy, lying on the sidewalk. And I don't know if I like even am blocking it out, but I um I thought the guy jumped. And maybe I even knew he jumped. Maybe I just. Blocked out the really weird stuff, but it was just, it was just, you gotta see. See, if you don't see any freaky stuff, then you end up living in a nice little neighborhood like this, putting up neighborhood watch signs. Like, that's really gonna help. Hey, we can't rip off these people. One of them might be watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for putting up with me. The Bitterest Pill is produced by Jacket Media. Jacketmedia.com, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. Thank you for listening to this free podcast from The Bitterest Pill. If you would like to hear more, go to TheBitterestPill.com. There you can purchase Pillbox and Pillbox 2 the complete first and second year of the Bitterest Pill Premium, or you can become a premium pill subscriber and get the shows as they are released, instead of waiting for three years to get them free. Seriously, how can you be that patient? This podcast has been sponsored by the Bitterest Pill Premium, now only $2.99 a month. Pretty cheap, right? Thank you for listening.